This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. My name is Sophie. Uh, I'm a teacher by trade, uh, but normally they are 10 and 11-year-olds, so I'm not sure which is more scary, you or them. Um, <coughs> probably them, because they're, you know, hormonal. <laughs> I don't know what kind of week you've had or what kind of day you've had. I have a very wise friend of ours who, whenever someone says, how are you, how are you feeling, how's your day, he's really trying to be disciplined and not say, oh, I'm really busy, or... I'm really tired. So I don't know whether you feel busy or you feel tired. That's something that I'm trying to work on. I find it easier just maybe not to talk to people than respond with, I am really tired or I am really busy. Uh, So uh, what I want this morning is to think about coming to God with an expectancy this morning. We are active in this word this morning that God has prepared on my heart. And uh, I want us to be expectant. So whether you feel busy or you feel tired or you feel kind of funny about Father's Day, wherever you are on that, I think we just need to come together with an expectancy that God will speak. So we're in this series called Messiah, Messiah in Isaiah, bit of a tongue twister, Um, and last week Christopher led us through Isaiah 53, which was all about Jesus and about him as a suffering servant that lays his life down for us. Now if you've read Isaiah before or you've been tracking this series, you will know that Isaiah is the the history of Israel, that is the big story, and they are on this somewhat of a roller coaster. They uh, are set apart, they wander away, they repent and they come back. It sounds quite familiar. It's a very uh, well-known cycle of very many successive generations and probably the story of many of us here. Uh, We are called, uh, we wander away, we repent and we return. So let's look together at the big story of Isaiah 54. Now, I am preaching about two women today, but actually there is a much bigger story, so don't be switched off by that. There are very two evocative images in Isaiah 54, one of a barren woman and one of an abandoned wife. She's referenced here as a widow. So we want to know about who are these women and what are these images and what's God saying to us as a church through these two images. Uh, Just from the off, they are powerful uh, expressions of God's demonstration to redeem, bring fruitfulness and restore. Not just Israel, but wider, us as a people and us as a church. So, let's go through that. If you have got your uh, your phone out with um, the Bible app, get on that. You know, resist the temptation to get onto Facebook. Um, Or if you've got your Bible, let's open them together then at Isaiah 54. Sing, barren woman... You who never bore a child, burst into song and shout for joy. You who were never in labour, because more are the children of the desolate woman than her who has a husband, says the Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. 
For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit, a wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. To me this is like the days of Noah when I swore that the waters of Noah would never again cover this earth. So now I have sworn not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. Our Father, we come to you this morning and we pray for a fresh outpouring of your spirit on us, Lord. Would we come to know you um, deeper through this? few moments together exploring this word would we know that sense of deep compassion that you have for us lord amen, amen. okay so isaiah 54 1 to 3 focuses on the barren woman sing barren woman you have never bore a child now when i was reading that i was thinking culturally that feels quite obscure if you've ever had a friend who has been trying for a child or friends or perhaps you yourselves who've tried for a baby often that word barren feels a bit uncomfortable and clunky doesn't it it's a horrible label to be labelled as barren. But at that time, and in Israel particularly, barrenness was a woman and a family's greatest misfortune. Uh, it was the highest sanction of religion and devotion. A fruitful woman was a woman that was blessed. Therefore, if you were not fruitful and you weren't perpetuating children for your tribe and your religion, that was a, sh a very shameful thing. But as I've read it over the years, I've always thought, Lord, why are you telling that poor woman to sing? That barren woman wants to crawl away and cry. She wants to weep. She wants to mourn with her family. She feels purposeless. It's counterintuitive to me to say to her, burst into song, worship the Lord. You've never been pregnant. You're not going to be in labour, but just worship, even though your heart's desire is not going to be given to you. Now, practically, I know a woman's body is designed for such purpose. I have birthed two children myself. Um, yeah. They are cute. We are made for it. And I had great, easy births. Our bodies are made for it. That is our purpose. But just because you're not a woman and you're not having children doesn't mean that you're not purposeful. We are all made for purpose. Yes. Things of our heart's desires. You might have a sense of barrenness. Things that we want, things that we feel, things that we need. Perhaps a question in your life, why certain things haven't happened. We all have a sense of barrenness mm. in our lives. So is the Lord saying to you in your barrenness that you should sing and worship? It's that poor barren woman, you need to worship even though you are not fruitful. And having been through lots of times in life where I have felt bereft and barren, when I felt purposeless, this verse from Thessalonians always sticks out for me. It's Thessalonians 6, uh, 5, verse 16 to 18. Rejoice evermore. Pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Rejoice evermore, in everything give thanks, pray without ceasing. Not just when you're on those mountaintop experiences where things feel like the sun is shining down, work is good, your bank balance feels good, perhaps you are pregnant that you've always wanted to be. 
And we have stood with many, my husband and I, over the years, of people who have found it difficult to conceive, people who've struggled, like the barren woman, who've, who face the possibilities of never having children, or they've conceived and they've lost their child. And we've stood and we've weeped with them, and it's heartbreaking. And I could find it desperately hard to stand in front of them and say, let's just worship. Let's worship our God. But we have, even to our non-Christian friends, we've said, we're going to pray for that. We're going to stand with you. We're going to lift you up in that. And I think that's a really important point there, that as we face many of life's difficulties, where we feel barren financially, distant fathers, loss of jobs, anxiety, cancer, we face all these things in our world that have this sense of barrenness and fruitfulness. You're not meeting your purpose. We are still told to rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and in everything give thanks. There's great power in singing like the barren woman. When we face trials and heartbreak, to pray pray without ceasing and to give thanks in everything, to remain joyful. And that is hard. I have stood at the front of my mother-in-law's funeral with my entire family worshipping God, saying thank you for that woman. And the power and the lift in the spirit of God to worship in that place was remarkable. This This voice verse doesn't mean that we are to thank God for bad things. Or when tragedies come that we can't feel sad and we can't have moments of rejection and loneliness. But it does mean that we have to pull our socks up and remain joyful because we know that in him he is victorious and we shall overcome ultimately we know the end of the story now i have a remarkable friend who you know very well who had a mastectomy last friday and when i saw her the day after her operation we were just catching up on how she was and she said you know this morning so i was in the shower you know try not to cry because it was amazing And she said to me, I was in the shower this morning and I put my hand on my cancerous breast and I said to God, thank you for this part of my body. Thank you for the children that is fed. And thank you that I can still worship you in this time. I was going to really try not to cry about that. But she is remarkable. And that turned me back to this verse that I thought, that is praying without ceasing. That is giving thanks to God in a really rubbish time. I thought, how inspirational is Naomi Keller? How incredible that she knows the truth of her Heavenly Father, that she could stand and say, thank you. In this situation, I praise you and I thank you. What a girl. When we worship God and we are in his presence, no matter what is happening in our lives, there is a connectedness. There is an intimacy with God. And we all know to bring fruitfulness, there has to be intimacy. If we're going to bear children, there has to be intimacy. And that is what God is saying here. He's saying that when there's a connectedness, when we come to him, when we draw into him, there is an intimacy. No matter what's happening in our lives, no matter what was happening in Israel lives, which we're going to come to, when people worship God, they pray and they know that others are praying for them. It lifts us up and it draws us into his presence, into a place of intimacy. Well, the barren woman... Well, she is Israel. That's who she is in this story. But she's also you, and she's also me. She's being told, enlarge the place of your tent. She's not being told, like, oh, you're barren, you're not going to have a baby. She's been saying, get get ready, barren woman. You sing because you need to put your tent wide open because I am going to give you all of these children. 
How confusing is that? Enlarge the place of your tent. Uh, stretch your curtains wide. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cord. Strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. She's being told that she will have so many children. Yes. She has to stretch her tent wide, her home, her church has to be enlarged so much because of all the spiritual children that God is going to give to her. God is speaking to Israel. Israel has been married to an empty religious practice. It's produced no children. They've turned away from God and they've not been in right relationship with him. They have been barren and fruitless. But God is saying to them, He's promising them to bring them back out of their barrenness. He's saying, I'll bring you back into your land, the land where you once were. As I promised Abraham, your descendants will be many. So we're not talking physical children, we're talking spiritual children. A population explosion, a massive family. And I wonder for you, if you ever question, how long will I be barren? In my barrenness, where I long to be fruitful, how long, Lord, will I be barren? I'm one of the leaders in this church. I lead a community with my husband, Mark. Um, and we often talk about our G1C community and how we want to reach the lost. And we've reordered our groups in this church. We've tweaked them to go out into our communities more to reach the lost, our friends, our neighbours. We've done pub quizzes. We've done barbecues. We've done this. And we are desperate for our spiritual children. Yes. We are saying, Lord, how long will our group, our church, be barren? We want this place filled with people, Lord. Come on, that is a, this is my barrenness. Lord, I, we want to see spiritual fruit here. We want our tent to be flung wide open. We want to be outward looking to shape our community groups. How long are we going to be barren in this for, Lord? Lord, help us. Tim Keller, in his talk, The Maker is Your Husband, highlights, in, uh, highlights Paul in Galatians 4, where he references Isaiah. And he applies this to the spiritual children of those that were born of ab- above, a miraculous new birth. It says, Now you, brothers and sisters, like Isaac, are children of promise. At that time, the son born, according to the flesh, persecuted the son born by the power of the Spirit. They are children of promise. We are children of promise, a descendant of a a promise of of redemption. This is the promise that we now live in, for we have been redeemed by Jesus. And did the barren woman and her husband keep trying for a baby even though they were barren? Well, let's think about the barren women we know in the Bible, for there were many. Think about Abraham, the promises that God gave to Abraham and his wife Sarah, that he would become a father to many nations through his own son. Do you know how many years that took? 25. 25 years for the promise of God to Abraham to be fulfilled. And then God said, you should sacrifice that kid up that mountain, if you know the story a bit later. But God was making that promise, and Abraham trusted the promiser. He trusted God, he trusted that promise, and Sarah must have been so faithful. Despite being old and being at the age of the menopause, she still believed that she could bear her own children. After 15 years of waiting, God pops up and says, don't worry, in due course, it's going to happen. 15 years. And then it still takes 10 more years for it to actually happen. Mm. So who is the barren woman? Well, she is Israel. Israel had, like we've said, worshipped an empty religious practice. She wasn't fruitful. She wasn't producing any descendants. There were no spiritual babies growing in Israel at that time. But she's also you. And she's also me. Israel's story is humanity's story that we cannot be fruitful on her own. In the the talk I just referenced there from Tim Keller, he said, 
You can't be the person you're called to be on your own. Any more than the barren woman can be pregnant, we are all spiritually barren. We need intimacy with God to be fruitful. I don't know how many of you on Sundays feel like sometimes you're going through the motions. I don't know how many of you feel like sometimes these are, for you personally, empty religious practices. But we know that that doesn't produce fruit. There must be a closeness. There must be an intimacy between us and God to produce that fruitfulness. And biblically, there was no one who didn't need God. Everybody needs him. Jacob and Joseph, all of the stories you can read... God has to intervene. There has to be intimacy with him. We have to encounter him. We need to believe for him to intervene in our sense of barrenness. God intervenes in every story. Here we know he's intervening in Israel's story. And through Jesus, he intervenes or has intervened through ours. The only one who comes alongside us to save the day is Jesus. He takes Israel's barrenness and he takes our barrenness and produces incredible fruit. The barren woman is fulfilled by a new birth. And I know through our G1C community group, when people have different conversations, I know that there's a girl in our, uh, who we're connected with who's had breast cancer, and we had dinner with them just before Naomi was even diagnosed, and there was this incredible conversation. And one of the first people to go around and see Naomi when she was recovering was this friend of ours who isn't a Christian. She doesn't know Jesus. But there's something about this connectedness, this sharing, and we can see this fruit happening and we're desperate for more. John 1 says, He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. We need this supernatural intervention. We can't just go through the motions because it doesn't produce fruitfulness. There must be closeness. We must come to God and to step into that intimacy with him. The next remarkable um, image that is used in Isaiah is that of the widow. And when I was planning this talk, I was saying, but her husband's not dead, so we wouldn't really call her a widow. But um, she is a desolate, deserted woman, which they call widowhood. So I'm guessing they're thinking, you know, in those times, if your husband died, you were kind of separate and left. And so it's, it's kind of um, equivalent to that, I suppose. If your husband has left you, there was deep shame. It was a desperate, desperate time for you as a woman. So she's desolate, rejected, referred to as widowhood. She's separated from her husband. So Isaiah 54, verse 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called God of all the earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. A wife who married young only to be rejected, says your God. For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. Your true husband is your maker, is God. If we go back a few chapters in Isaiah, this is where this kind of picture comes. Isaiah 50 verses 1 to 3 likens Israel to a wife and God to the husband. The husband husband has loved and nurtured and served his wife for centuries, for years. But the wife, who we know in this picture is Israel, has worshipped other gods. She's gone astray. She's put herself in the arms of others. She's committed spiritual adultery. And what does the husband do? He steps back and takes a breath because he cannot bear to be near her. He feels betrayed and so he withdraws. 
And that's the picture of God and Israel. Israel has gone astray. Despite God loving them and nurturing them and chasing after them for so long and being the best husband he could be to them, they've looked for comfort elsewhere. And so he takes a breath and he steps back and it says, in a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. The husband withdraws from the wife. God withdrew from Israel. He's jealous for her. He's outraged that she would be in the arms of another. Because the people are helpless in their sinfulness, Israel's like a rejected wife, which is culturally a mark of great shame. And when Israel was abandoned, the nations came and they ravaged her. Verse 6 says, The Lord will call you back as if you were this deserted wife. Verse 7 said, For a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. He's saying, I see your distress, Israel. I see your distress, church. I see where you feel deserted. The wife's upset, but it is her own doing. But yet it moves him. It moves our God. Yet I will have compassion on you, he says. My unconditional covenant love remains. God couldn't stay away. He had to be back with her. God can't stay away. He longs to be with us. Her husband will show her compassion and invite her back home. The covenant, the marriage will be rebuilt and will be redeemed. But there's a cost. There's always a cost to unfaithfulness, to sin, to go in our own way, away from God. Someone always has to pay. The husband takes the woman's desolation and shame and wins her back. And here we have echoes of the gospel. On the cross when Jesus cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? And yet in the light of Jesus, we know unequivocally that God forgives and God pays. He is infinitely holy and infinitely forgiven, forgiving. He takes our sin and our shame to win us back, to reconcile these. These are powerful expressions of how God redeems us as his children. He redeemed Ismail and he sent Jesus to redeem us from our desolation, from our shame, from our barrenness. And because Jesus has done this, there is an unshakableness in this. If you go to verse 10, it says, Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Well, who is she, this barren woman? Well, she's you and she's me, trying to go in alone, go in our own strength and wondering why we're not producing fruit, going through the motions without intimacy with God. Who is she, the widow? Well, she's you and she's me. We're looking to other things to give us fulfilment, fruitfulness, success. God was not enough in Israel's eyes. It wasn't good enough. I wonder how many of us live our lives like God is enough for us. No matter how broken our lives become, God's nature is to completely and compassionately restore us. He is always faithful. And we live in the light of the crucifixion and resurrection. And the people of Israel didn't have that. We have an assuredness and unshakableness in that. God brings miraculous births from empty wombs. I have friends who were barren for years who have produced children miraculously. And we, as a church, can miraculously birth spiritual children, so we have to fling our tent wide to welcome them in. He brings reconciliation, joy, and hope to the empty marriage. 
Like the barren and desolate woman, we as people, as family, as church, we want God to come close to us. A few weeks ago here, uh, one of our family prayed, God, I long to see your face and to be intimate with you. We need to long to be intimate with him. Because if we haven't seen his face for some time, we will feel a lacking. We need intimacy in our barrenness, in our shame and in our desolation. We need God. We need to cry out for him. In a moment, we're going to return to worship if the band wants to come back up. And I really want us to spend time in his presence thinking about that intimacy For me, some of the most intimate moments are when I am worshipping God, no matter what place I am in. I dedicate my heart to worshipping him and letting the spirit wash over me and communicate with me and share that moment with me. So in the next few moments of worship, bring to God any sense of barrenness that you might have. That sense of wanting to just reconnect, to feel purposeful, and to rejoice evermore, to pray without ceasing and everything Give thanks because that is God's will over us. And once we've had that time of intimacy in worship, we're going to spend some time in intimacy uh, through communion. And then we're going to have time to respond because I feel like this kind of message is one that has to just be breathed in. And then we need to come and respond so that none of us leave unchanged today. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.